podcast for October 31st, 2013, the special Halloween edition of The Vegas Gang. Uh, the Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. Let me go around the virtual table and introduce my co-hosts. We have uh, Chuck Monster from Los Angeles, California. Uh, go ahead, caller. Your next question comes from the line of Joel <laughs> Open. <laughs> I think we lost Joe. Bye, Joe. Who's after Joe? <laughs> yes. Hello, Chuck. <laughs> That's a very funny clip. For those, uh, for those that don't know what that is, that was from the Wind Resorts um, conference call this past week. Um, and Steve, 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 we'll talk a little about the call later, but Steve seemed to be in, in rare form. Uh, referring to his uh, CFO as Dr. Maddox is the way he started <laughs> off. And you could tell things were about to get a little bit weird. And then it kind of went from there. So apart from that little funny interlude and the fact that he was clearly like having lunch while he was doing the call because he was like <laughs> – he, <was> <laughs> he was chewing and making smacking that noises and stuff. Joe, Joe, are you there, Joe? We lost Joe. It was uh, it was it was pretty funny. We'll talk uh, about that a little real- later. Yeah, I didn't realize that, that Steve Wynn was such a Jimi Hendrix fan. I, oh, yeah! Sorry. Wow, that was pretty bad. Um, it was a that was a funny call. That was a funny clip. Welcome, Chuck. How are you? I'm fabulous. Excellent. Uh, and of course, we also have Dr. Dave Sarno Schwartz, uh, our resident uh, emerging leader. And uh, the director of UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. <laughs> I can't possibly match, you know, hello, Joe. So <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> um, so, Dave, uh, tell us about your emerging leader status. You make it sound so dirty. <laughs> it's, really, it's really quite innocuous. It's, uh, it's uh, a... Man, now now I'm totally <laughs> But pretty much it's a group of folks who uh, people at G2B has, have identified as the next generation of leaders. Uh, there's a good article in Global Gaming Business Magazine about it. This is key to a bunch of stuff, including Jeff Freeman taking over as president of the AGA. And there's really this feeling that the torch will eventually be passed. And they're trying to cultivate and groom people who will be ready to accept the torch when it's passed. So right on. I'm thrilled to be part of that group. Yeah, cool. In all seriousness, congratulations. Just Thank you. Couldn't Thank resist you. a little, uh, little ribbing here and there. Um, all right, excellent. Uh, my name's Hunter Hillegas, and uh, I'm in charge of pushing the buttons. Um, <laughs> let's see. We have uh, – well, we came to you not long ago with a special live edition of this podcast featuring Zach Conine of uh, Downtown Grand and uh, Derek Stevens of the D. We did it as part, of course, of the Vegas Internet Mafia family picnic. And so I think maybe we'll just start right there. A quick little recap about how that went because um, it was an action-filled weekend of fun. Um, I'm not going to recap the entire event. There's actually uh, a couple of places online people wrote 
um, trip report type style things about how, how they experienced the weekend. And uh, the good folks at uh, 500 by Midnight talked about their experience on their last show. Um, so I'm not going to go through all of that stuff, but I would, would like to say a few things. Um, first, again, thank you to both of our guests for appearing uh, in the live show. I think uh, I got a lot of positive feedback from people that uh, that um, enjoyed both uh, interviews. And so thank you to both of them for doing that. Um, a huge thanks, of course, to Derek Stevens and the staff at the D. We've, uh, we've said this a few times, but I don't think we can ever uh, get sick of saying it. Um, the amount of work that you guys all did to make it happen it was staggering, and we can't say how much we appreciate it. Uh, it really went fantastically, 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 fantastic, fantastically. Um, it was great, and uh, I know people had a lot of fun. I mean, I, I've gotten some emails from folks. Of course, there are people that were at the show where I got to talk to them, and they seemed like they were having a great time. Uh, but since then, I got some emails from folks that really had a, had a fantastic time, and you know, really that goes to the folks at the D for making that all happen. And also to everybody that attended, right? This event is nothing without its attendees and community. We're, we, we may be organizers, but we're, we're really just facilitators. Um, the event is all about you people out there in TV land. And so, <laughs> you know, thank, thank you to everyone that came out and that, um, you know, was participating and having a good time and turning it into the super fun event that it was. Uh, I, I can't personally can't thank you all enough. It was great. Um, Dave, one of the things we did at uh, at VIMF was talk about your book. You had your actual launch for your book, which we've been talking about for a long time. Uh, how did that go? It went incredible. And while I was doing it, I don't think I even realized how incredible it was. But about three days later, I was thinking, I'm like, you know what? I gave a book reading in a casino showroom that was packed with people. Like, that, that was, that's just incredible to me. That's great. It's like every dream come true for somebody who studies casinos and grew up around casinos. So it's, it's really, really awesome. It was also great to see two of Sarno's kids there, uh, Freddie and Heidi, and Freddie said some really encouraging things. And even gentlemen who used to work for him came and had some really great stuff to say. So it was wonderful to get to meet a lot of the people who backed me in the Kickstarter personally and thank them. And uh, it, was just a, it was just a beautiful day uh, for so many reasons, and that, that's one of them. So um, folks that were there that participated in the Kickstarter thing, hopefully they've uh, either they were there to get their book or it ended up with them in the mail. But I'm sure that there are some folks... Uh, out there that uh, would like to purchase the book that still haven't. So why don't we remind them where they can get the book if they want to pick up a copy? One place to go is grandissimobook.com, and you have links to everywhere where it's available, either print versions or ebook versions. It's in four ebook platforms. And uh, another new place that it is at is the Gambler's Book Club. And they, I gave them a couple of books, and they've actually sold out of them already. So I have given them their second, their second shipment. So that's, I'm really thrilled to see that. But grandissimobook.com is where you can go. Um, lots of information about the book, including where to buy it. And lastly, you're doing a couple of events coming up, I think. Why don't we tell people about them in case they want to come see you? Yeah, I've got a really ambitious roster of events up ahead, and it's really exciting. Uh, the first one is this Saturday, November 2nd. I'm going to be signing books at the Vegas Valley Book Festival. So basically me, a table, a pen, and a bunch of books. So come by. Um, 
December 13th and 14th, I'm giving a talk at the Mob Museum, which is another dream come true. It's, it's totally cool. I'm going to be doing a talk in the historic courthouse where they actually had some of the key Foffer hearings. So that's, that's really a thrill. This is December 13th and 14th. And I've got a couple other events um, in the future, but we'll talk about them when we get there. But those are the two big ones this fall. Um, Saturday at the Vegas Valley Book Festival, and then December 13th and 14th, giving a talk and doing a whole thing at the Mob Museum. Admission is free if you're a member, and if you're not a member, you just have to pay the admission, and you get to see the whole museum, which is like a three-hour thing in and of itself, and hear me give a talk and get a book signed if you want. Very cool. Very exciting. Well, congratulations again on launching your book. It was uh, fun to see that go down. People really liked it, um, which is no surprise, but uh, very cool. Thank you so much, and also thanks to both of you, and thanks to all the listeners for your support. You know, it really wasn't easy for me to get this book out, and I really appreciate so much all, all your support. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that's directly VIMF related that we want to go over, um, but I do want to talk about Downtown Grant, which was in many ways sort of the theme of our segment of the show uh, with our interview with Zach, who uh, is chief business development officer over there. Um, and in addition to that interview, the three of us actually also toured the property uh, <coughs> that uh, the day before. So, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about that tour and what uh, our opinions were. We didn't really get a chance to dig into that at the live show. Talk a little bit about our, our impressions and opinions. And, of course, now the place is actually open since we, um, since we broadcast last. So it opened on Sunday uh, with a, um, a appearance from uh, Mr. Steve Wynn himself. So uh, I guess... Let's talk about let's talk about what we thought. We we toured the property before it was open, so you know it's a little bit different than seeing it uh, full of people. But it was an opportunity to walk the place and really get an in-depth tour and get some good information about uh, some of the specifics uh, about how they put the place together. So I guess it's probably I'll just start. Um, you know, we started off walking through the casino itself. I guess I would say the casino is a little bit smaller than I was anticipating, but I think part of that is just that it's been so long since the Lady Luck was open, I'd actually forgotten what the floor plan was like. Um, but the casino is not huge. Um, you know, it's it's not a monster floor or anything. I guess maybe by downtown standards, it's probably average-ish. But uh, it, it's, um, you know, t tables and slots, pretty standard. I mean, it looks... The whole place looks nice in, in as much as it's brand new, obviously, and uh, you can tell that they that they did spend some money putting it together. Um, they've gone with sort of that uh, industrial um, warehouse plant type theme that we've seen in some other places as well, uh, it, you know, which which can work for some things, and in other cases, you wonder if uh, it's just a way to save money on paint. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they've actually constructed a sort of elaborate backstory behind uh, all of the things that they've done. And um, everything from explaining what the theme of the casino floor is supposed to be through some of the restaurants. And for me personally, I could say that while I understand, as part of a design process, I could understand doing some of that stuff to try and sort of ground your process and try and remain somewhat consistent. 
the the hearing the that story though and the stories and um especially if they push that kind of stuff out to the customer a lot i'm wondering how that's going to fly i just i the backstory maybe has a purpose but i'm not sure that anyone that's coming to the property to play nickel slots cares about the imaginary characters that they've created um so I, I sort of wonder about that, but again, we've seen this at other places uh, to some degree, and it seems like a lot of that fades away after the initial marketing blitz is over, and it just you know they go about running the business, and uh, and uh, we don't really hear the story anymore. Um, in terms of the rooms, you know, we saw a couple different room types, and uh, you know they they're for they're they're nice for down, especially for when you consider what's downtown and the rooms that are available. I mean it. You know, it's definitely a, a going to be a contender, and and there's a pretty wide variance, right? Even at the Golden Nugget, which is probably you know the, the overall considered the nicest hotel downtown, those rooms in the at the Nugget are of varying vintage. Um, some are brand new and very very nice, and some are quite a bit older and aren't, uh, or not aren't nice, but they're just pretty basic and boring. And so I thought that downtown grand rooms were actually, um, you know, I, I would very much like to try one and see what they're like and, and experience the hotel. Uh, and it, along with that, some of the restaurants too. I mean, you know, most downtown hotels don't have a lot of restaurant choices. And so it's nice to have a couple of other places to try. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to experiencing it as a guest. I, I don't know. I, I'm rambling on and on here, but I'm wondering what you guys thought because we were on this tour together um, and so I'm curious what your guys' thoughts were. I mean, are, are you excited about downtown Grand after going on the tour? I guess. So uh, listen, I, uh, I, uh, after thinking about it, uh, you know, I really, I'm interested in the idea of, of the downtown Grand DT3 neighborhood thing. The fact that, you know, they have signs inside the casino that point you to restaurants that are out on the street outside. You know, it really makes it kind of like a community area where you don't necessarily have to be inside of one building, everything under one roof. It's really sort of a little separated little hole-in-the-wall neighborhood of stuff for you to, to enjoy. Uh, I'm going to put some chips behind what you said about the story thing. This type of, uh, of, 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 of fiction is kind of straight from the, the Disney Imagineering school of thought. Like they always try and create stories for each space, which is something for, you know, that's, that's just the way they do their narratives and things. It's also, people do that also in software development too. They come up with stories for different user types of people who are going to do stuff. And I found, I found the discussion of these fraudulent histories to be... <laughs> 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 uh. Well, I found the discussions of fraudulent histories to be a, a little off-putting, frankly. Like, I'm not going to believe that the Lady Luck Casino was once a neon power plant that powered all of the, you know, all of the neon downtown. It's just nonsense. It's total nonsense. And there's the other nonsense to the other Stewart and Ogden restaurant where these two writers, foodie guys back in the 1800s, I, they may may or not be real people. I don't know. I think, Dave, you would know the specifics. But it, the fact that they found their book in the grease trap while they were grease renovating trap. the hotel, 
you know, and, and, and it's, it's a big discussion about what people think today about food. Should we common food or uncommon food and this kind of thing? You know, it all just, it became just a bunch of nonsense to me. And I found that, like, the experiencing a property without a tour guide is always better than to hear somebody, unless it's like Roger Thomas, you know, if it was like a designer, the guy telling you, explaining you what the hell's going on here, to me it makes a bit more sense. Because Roger Thomas gave you the real history of finding that ship thing in the auction house exactly. in Paris, and it was the right. re- actual, and told you the actual design process and how that related to these bigger things, instead of what well, we yeah. designed this place and then made up some stories. My favorite, yeah. actually, my favorite story was explaining how the escalator came from Fontainebleau and how they had to figure out how to get it to fit because it didn't That's fit. That was the truth, right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, I, I, I sort of cut you off there, Chuck, but it it sounds like uh, we're somewhat simpatico. I mean, I think yeah. downtown Grand has got to be good for downtown, right? For sure, for sure. It's a nice place, you know. I'm not knocking the the joint itself. You know, it's real clean. What they did inside is really good. It looks really fantastic. It's bright, it's clean, it's open. It's got sort of an industrial vibe there to it, you know, which is really just sort of a, 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 a mishmash of trendy design things. Like, it's got a little this industrial business. It's got some steampunk sort of deal going on there and some basic IKEA-ish modernism. Uh, you know, but 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 what, what lacks for me in, in the building is like timelessness. There's a thing where you don't know where you are. When you walk in there, you know you're 2012, 2013, and maybe back a couple of years. It really feels like that. So five years from now, 10 years from now, I don't know how well this thing's gonna gonna stack up. But that's me being picky in terms of just design. So like the art bar thing, you know? Basically, that, that has been there's, – there's the place at the, at the Artisan called the Library Bar that has that exact same design. Right. With uh, the, the artwork all over the place. And then they stick the, uh, the, uh, the filament bulbs, the vintage bulbs, which have been pretty trendy too right. in there as well. You know, just to me, it's like, yeah, this is design sense from three years ago. I'm wondering, years ago. I'm wondering in terms of um, – now, of course, so much of this is the service aspects, which you can't – no, without experiencing it. But in terms of what we saw in the rooms, thoughts on where downtown Grand likely stacks up in terms of um, hotels downtown. I want, like, I'm uh, to create a story here. I am Bob, a uh, executive from Southern California, and I want to stay downtown. I would like to stay in a nice room, but I don't want to waste money. Where should I stay? I would say I would say stay at the Golden Nugget or stay in the D Suites. Or the tops, or the tops, the top two levels of suites at Downtown Grand. I think they're the tradition. The standard rooms are way too small. They're incredibly cramped. Very small. It looks good. It looks nice what they did, but it's cramped in there. If you're Bob and you're an executive, then no way. That won't that won't settle for you. Right. There's better places. Well, it is. That is a key point. I don't know if point. you went into this. Sorry, go ahead. I don't know if you went into the. I don't know if you went into the. I don't remember if you went into the D suites there, but those things are kind of a knockout. It's pretty amazing what's in there. But I don't want to change the subject here. Yeah, but. well, I mean, I I think you touched on the room size, the standard room size, which is you know something that's a real challenge when redeveloping a property, right? You're especially one that's been around for so long. The standard room size has changed so much, and that's just something that's very difficult to get around. So. 
you know, I, I think it's definitely a challenge. Um, and you're right, they are. They do feel they do feel small. Uh, but Dave, you were on this tour. Um, what do you what did you think? I think it's really well calibrated to the neighborhood. So it's and I I think it's kind of like what George Malouf did with the Palms for downtown 2013. I think that instead of being people playing video poker during the day and clubbers at night, it's divided between people who come to downtown to gamble and the people who are at Zappos. So I think a lot of what we probably don't like so much about the narrative and, and all that those people would really like, you know, having gone to the gold spike, seeing what that's become. <laughs> um, you could see, like, yeah, somebody who was comfortable there with uh, whatever those things were um, out in the courtyard. What did you guys call those? Uh, the, the game with like the beanbags? Bean, bean, beanbag toss game? Yeah. So that yeah. stuff, I could see that person kind of liking a lot of the elements there. And especially the artisanal curation of not food court <laughs> right. things across right. the street. In the, the commissary. commissary. Right. Can commissary I, yeah. After dark. That's definitely one thing I want to give an overall thumbs down to. And we saw this at Cosmopolitan as well, which is like this language. You're not fooling anybody. It, it, a food court doesn't have to mean ghetto McDonald's in an airport. It can mean good food. It can mean interesting choices. It can mean inexpensive. But the, this um, – desire to stay away from certain words and to turn everything into a uh, a, a curated um, <clears throat> food experience is like, come on, man. I, I don't like that. It's true, it's, a lot of it is like that, though. There's a big deal of the conception, and to me, that's a turnoff. But the property itself, it's not so much of a turnoff. You know, but the way it was couched is like the tour kind of ruined a lot of that stuff for me by the way it was marketed at. And, it's, and I think you guys might have some of that too. And it, well, I think it really is going to depend on how that market. I mean, the, a property like this, they have to figure out all of their marketing angle, the narrative, the story they want to tell for the press for the opening. And it's what will be interesting is that now that that's you know they still have some opening events, but as that starts to fade away, how hard they push this stuff, or whether it recedes into the background and we never hear about it again. Yeah, and I, never, I think that kind of is, you know. I know I would have done it differently. I would have sent somebody down to special collections to look in the crisscross directories and see what had been on that spot going back to 1905 and done a real historical survey of it and then try to come up with something interesting from that. But, you know, that's not as good as uh, what is Ogden and Stewart and the fancy yeah. food and the not fancy food. You know, I think you, I think you could, and then plus with all the personalities involved, I think if you had, you know, I think if they wove in more of Seth's story, certainly his background is very interesting. And some of the other people involved with the restaurants, this is really kind of the next generation of Las Vegas. And I think that's a really interesting story to tell if you work that in the narrative as opposed to, to making up the stuff. But I think it's really, I think I can see what they're going for. They're not necessarily going for the traditional casino visitor person. They, you know, I think they're going for people who might be coming to downtown to do other things, not the casino, but they also do at the casino. So I, I, I think it will do well for, in that in that way. I think. How are uh, they going to fill the hotel? That's the question I have. Is how are they going to fill the hotel? Well, well, you figure looking even more people. broadly. 
So some of it could be Zappos people. Some of it could be the World Market Center people who have, you know, basically right now I think they're mostly Golden Nugget, although I could be wrong about that. You know, but that's definitely, I could see that kind of customer being attracted to that. If they're used to being in hotel rooms in other cities, they're probably used to a smaller room and would not think it was that, that strange. Or it's that, also you know, only 600 and change rooms. I mean, it's not a huge property. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, not knowing what their mix is, I don't think they have any, any convention space. Well, they did have that little space, so maybe they'll have some, you know, weddings or whatever, whatever there. Um, but I could see keeping that, I could see keeping that uh, hotel occupied with a lot of people. It's, you know, it's interesting. You look at, uh, and we saw this in full force, I think, over the weekend, and I think anybody who attended would agree, the, uh, the powerful um, nature of having uh, over at the D and to a lesser degree at the Golden Gate, of having Derek there on the property and talking to people. I mean, people really got off on that. I saw a lot of pictures on Twitter like, hey, I got my picture taken with the guy that owns the hotel. That's crazy. Um, that is a really powerful thing. And Dave, you yeah. touched on this a minute ago talking about uh, Seth Shore at Downtown Grand. Now, clearly, he, is, he does have a very interesting uh, background and um, it would, be, it would be interesting to see if they ended up doing more of that kind of thing. Uh, you know, it, you look at his, at his uh, where, you know, he, he's definitely, in terms of, he went to the Wynn School of uh, Hotel Casinos, right? And the Wynn is all about this cult of personality. I mean, he put his name on the yeah. hotel. So, you know, if you go stay, it, Wynn and Trump are sort of, at, that have that in common, right? It's like, they built the whole thing around, I'm the guy, I'm, and it's worked really well for them. So it's interesting to see Seth not go that way uh, and to go with a more traditional sort of, um, I don't want to say faceless uh, management, but I mean, it's, they're not focusing on their personalities as part, of the, as part of the marketing pitch. And part of that may be because they're not the owners, they're just right. running the place right. and managing the place, so it's not the same thing. Right. But if you look at the history of downtown, it's, you know, this has been the place where you've had the owners or the person running it being the big deal. Obviously, Benny Binion, you know, Steve Wynn at the Nugget, Jackie gone just about everywhere, Sam Boyd, you know. The, it's, the properties are scaled to where if you've got an owner or a manager who's on site, they're going to be very present and they're going to be around. So I think that's, you know, if I was advising them, I would say take advantage of that. Push your, they use the word authenticity a lot, push your real authenticity, which is the people you have, which is the, you know, and again, the narrative I would tell, this is the next generation of Las Vegas. The other thing about the call to personality with Tony Shea there, I think people also have that. Those people are more used to seeing, well, hey, here's the big person in charge. Right. And he's present and we can walk through his apartment whenever we feel like it. So <laughs> I think there's an expectation for that. As somebody who has walked through the has who has walked through the apartment, and I, um, I we haven't we're going to get Seth on the show uh, soon, and so we haven't had a chance to interview him yet. But you know, Zach was extremely personable. I think if if you've got a team of people that are good at interacting with the public, you could use really use that to your advantage. Yeah, again, because it's because of the scale of the place. It's not like it's right. MGM Grand and they'll be lost in a corner. You know if. If Zach and Seth walk the floor, I would think in like 40 minutes they could they could pretty much be everywhere. Well, um, I'm actually looking forward to trying out Downtown Grand. I think it's uh, a great addition to downtown based on what we've seen so far. 
Um, it's great not to have the Lady Luck just be this gross, empty carcass um, and to have another option for picking places to stay. Um, so I'm looking forward to giving it a try. And like I said, it's always great to get new restaurants downtown. Um, you know, there's some there's some good options, and there's been some more added recently, but it's always good to get a couple more uh, places to eat. So always love to try that kind of stuff. Anything else on downtown Grand before we go? I guess the only other thing I want to ask you guys is thoughts on – Picnic, which is their pool's deck space, because espoused in the interview was some grand scheming for um, all kinds of events out there. Uh, Some of them sounded a little bit more like they would be present in a press release than in real life, but um, I'm wondering if you guys think that that space is going to be... I mean, they they seem to be framing that as sort of almost a community space, even... A hotel amenity, but really drawing people in from the surrounding community to do stuff. Uh, and I'm wondering if you think that is going to work. To me, it's smart management to, to, to try it because it is something they have different. Uh, if I'm going to totally name drop that, that time that I took the tour of the Ogden and was in, in uh, Tony Shea's apartment there, not talking to Tony Shea because he was in a conference call, but I was my mind was wandering. I looked out the window and I was kind of scooping out the area. And I got a really good view of that from about 20 stories up, that whole space there. And it really is, outside of the Golden Nugget, pretty unique in downtown. So it's something they have that not everybody else has. And I think the fact that they're trying to use that to their advantage is, is a good thing. Yeah. Chuck, are you going to picnic? Uh, well, when they have the bocce tournaments, I might consider it. What about Tai Chi? I will definitely do some Tai Chi. I need to, I need to get my center of balance back. So, I'm, I'm yeah. I'm imagining something like uh, in the first Matrix movie where like they have the training simulations. I'm imagining like some kind of advanced uh, fight training out there on the uh, on the on the pool deck. Uh, it's w- kind of like you know the picnic thing is is kind of like a uh, you know a teen center for html jockeys probably (laughs) that is so funny that's you know if 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 we hadn't been to the reimagined gold spike i would say that that is exactly what it is though i think that description fits the gold spike even more to a t um yeah which was just this bizarre disgusting experience i wish i could strike from my mind um i don't know what they're doing over there that was just just got terrible Ugh, terrible it's like a Starbucks without the coffee. Yeah. It's just people sitting around with their laptops and like three guys at the bar and 14 security guards. Very, very strange. <laughs> very strange. Yeah. Do, do not get. Um, all right. Well, we're going to move off of downtown and uh, we're going to talk about Caesars Entertainment a little bit because they had uh, a series of events, really, um, over the course of a few days. Uh, they really had some trouble, as uh, Howard Stutz in the Review Journal called it in his article, Caesars Entertainment's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad weekend, Uh, which I think is pretty accurate because we start off, and this was coinciding with the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic. I think we were in your room, Chuck, after we had finished the main event on Saturday. We were unloading some boxes of stuff as we were getting ready to go down to eat dinner, and I look on Twitter, and I see that uh, Caesars has um, kicked the Gansevoort people out of their Bill's redevelopment project. And mm-hmm. 
you know, looking at it, looking, learning more about the story, it turns out that you know Caesar's has been trying to was was trying to get into Massachusetts and uh, you know get one of the licenses there, and the co- the commission in Massachusetts issued this report, which basically determined that they didn't they didn't think that Caesar's was going to be found suitable to uh, to be a a licensee there, and they cited. A bunch of different things. I think the thing that got the most play was the Gansevoort thing. Apparently, there's allegations that one of the investors in the, excuse me, in the existing Gansevoort hotel line may have had some affiliation with some crime syndicate people. I mean, I, from what I've read, there's those links are also pretty sketchy. They're not really very substantiated. Um, but uh, so Caesar's reacted. So Caesar's withdrew. From uh, from the Massachusetts licensing situation, they kicked Gansevoort off of the bills thing, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the rest of their weekend in a minute because that wasn't it. There's more to this story, uh, but I mean, wow! I, I was like, what? <laughs> the the bills thing that they've been promoting it seemed like it it turned on a dime, and when you look at what's happening in Massachusetts, what I think is very interesting um, is that. We we saw not only uh, Gary Loveman, obviously, who was not not very happy about the way this went down. Clearly, but on in Steve Wynn's conference call, he was talking about how he was sort of feeling abused by the regulators in Massachusetts. This seems to be a theme we're seeing now, where these sort of younger regulatory bodies that have been set up as gaming expands are being very aggressive in investigating these companies, and Steve Wynn in particular. Was talking about how you know he he felt like in any other industry you come in and you say I want to spend a billion dollars to improve this community and they are happy to see you and when it comes to gaming there's a double standard you know they want your money but they treat you like you're a criminal uh, and they he gave several examples as far as um, the investigations that they've been through as part of licensing that they're undergoing in the various jurisdictions uh, it seems like this is a story that's you know we're it's growing a bit. What do you guys think about this? I guess, Dave, I'd love to start with you. Um, both, were, how surprised were you? I, I assume that this was a surprise because it seemed to come out of nowhere. But also, any opinions on regulators and these comments that we're hearing from some of these guys that they feel like they're not being treated very fairly? Yeah, you know, I will say that every state has the right to set their own standards of suitability, and I sound like a total regulator now, but that's their <laughs> right. And they, that, they're setting the rules for how to gamble. You, there is no right to have a casino franchise anywhere, and if they're going to have this kind of restrictive process, which all these casinos bought into in the lobbying phase of this where, hey, we're going to pick winners, we're going to pick losers. It's not going to be a free market where we just open it up and whoever can get the land can build. You know, you're going to have stuff like this. And Massachusetts is taking a different look at that relationship. You know, it's come out now that, well, maybe that relationship hasn't been disclosed to people in other jurisdictions yet. So now they're looking at it. It's just like what happened back in 2009 with MGM in New Jersey where Nevada and Mississippi both said Pansy Ho is a suitable partner, and New Jersey, New Jersey said she's not suitable. And they had to make a choice there. They exited the market. They couldn't sell their half of the Borgata, and now it looks like they're coming back. But you did, this is something that's inherent to the regulatory process. Every jurisdiction has its own standards, and you're always going to have this. And if you want to do business in that state, you need to accept that. 
Okay, I I with you in principle. Um, yes, they should be able to set the standards that they want. That also, but that does not mean that they're not being unreasonable. I mean, it, well, it's, it's, it's hard I, to say that you know they there. I, I haven't gone through the entire report, but apparently there's some stuff in there that really makes a case. Yeah, and again, it's not like you know these. It's not like the commission is totally blind for the, to, to, to the need for economic development. And that's got to be weighing in them if, like, well, hey, you just basically sent the world's biggest casino company home. You know, that's that's got to be consideration. So I'm sure they don't do this lightly. You know, the other part of it that I think um, – and I don't – you know, these are stories from the Steve, and he has been known to embellish from time to time. But, um, you know, he talked about – the regulators, I think it was Massachusetts he was referring to, uh, when they were going through some of their licensing situation, you know, getting demanding information of ownership records of one of his directors um, and asking for a marriage license for another one. I mean, that that seems like, uh, depending on how it was framed, it it it, it does seem a, a little a little excessive. It is. Uh, this is a very highly regulated industry. If you want to get a license in Nevada, they look at every every check stub that you've had. So they look at pretty much every check you've ever written. Last year, I did an interview with a former investigator, and he, the advice he gave to people is, well, if you know you're going to go into the casino business, never write bribe money as a subject line <laughs> on a check. Even, as a, like, even if you're paying your friend for the beer money, write bribe money. Don't do that because they have no sense of humor about that. So it is a very intrusive process everywhere. I, that's one of the reasons why ownership is so concentrated because there's not a lot of people who want to get in the market because it is so intrusive. So I think that's something intrinsic to the industry. I don't think that's unreasonable when you look at the history of the industry and the fact that at one time there was or, organized crime elements in it and there's a good reason for them to set this up. You know, that being said, is there still going to be a good reason for it in 50 years? I don't know. So, I don't know, but th- there's definitely justification for it. Do you feel like uh, some of this is entitlement by from casino titans that are sort of used to get in their way? I mean, when when especially it can is many people would say he can pretty much do whatever he wants in Nevada. Uh, I'm sure for Caesars that's maybe true to an equal or lesser extent. Um, these guys maybe were expecting that they were going to walk right in and they were going to be treated like they are in Nevada. I can understand why it's frustrating when you have this track record of operating in the, the jurisdiction that is supposedly the gold standard for gaming regulation. That's Nevada. You know, you're in Macau, which is the world's biggest gaming jurisdiction with, you know, no major issues there. I think there is the idea that, well, hey, these people are just starting out and they need our help and um, they're kind of begging us to come in and build. I think there is the, the expectation that you would walk right in. So I think that I can see, I can see how there would be a lot of frustration from the casino owners, but I can also see how there's pressure on the regulators for the state to be very stringent because they don't, you know, what they're afraid is that the anti-casino people will say, well, you're letting them walk right over you and you're giving, letting them just come in. So I think they, they have to be very stringent for their own political reasons. And we've seen, you know, as you mentioned at the top, we've seen this. New Jersey has often found people unsuitable that were licensed in Nevada. I mean, this is not, this has happened, you know, often in the past. Hilton Hotels, Hugh Hefner, you know, a lot of people. Right. The the Pearlmans from Caesars, uh, back in the Caesars world days. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of examples of this. So it's not because, you know, I think we're always going to have this with us as long as you have different states doing it, but that is the right of the state. So one of the things that was cited in the report is Caesar's enormous debt load, which I think is something around $23 billion at this point. It's they're the number one, um, you know, in the casino industry, and number two is MGM, which I think is around thirteen. So they're way out ahead uh, in terms of the amount of debt that they have. I, I, and it's you know talking about how their their free cash flow barely allows them to make their interest payments, and if things in the economy go sour, they could actually be in a really tough spot. Um, is is this you know is, we've talked about this in the past when we've talked about Caesar's financials, but I mean that that is a black mark against them. I mean it, they they are if things continue to go well, it might not be an issue, but if things turn south, they could really be screwed. Yeah, I think that's another pretty important point, and uh, there was a good paper given at that conference I was at in May by Richard Schutz, who's a California regulator, and he used the term too big to regulate, where once, you know, once a company gets to a certain size, it would be very difficult for the gaming control or gaming commission in Nevada to put sanctions in Caesars Entertainment, you know, let alone try to talk about revoking their license for any kind of wrongdoing they did because there would be nobody who could buy their portfolio. Right. So you've, you've definitely got those, got those concerns. And you look at the smaller markets and maybe that provides a different perspective. Chuck, uh, were you shocked to hear about these developments? I mean, um, you know, they seem to come out of nowhere. No, I wasn't shocked. I was a little shocked, not completely shocked. You know, I, I when I was thinking about this Gansevoort thing, I went back and I read some of the posts that I wrote in April when uh, they first announced this thing. And right at the end of this post here, I... I I wrote, perhaps Gansevoort won't open as Gansevoort. Ah, the last thing I wrote at the end of this post. Yeah, I, I, I guess I got lucky on that thing, but it just seemed like the name was so picked out of a hat and so kind of unexpected that it just didn't seem like I did not see the name becoming reality. I just didn't feel that it was going to happen. So I'm not surprised that it's gone, but I'm surprised that Caesars pulled the plug on that project so like that. quickly. I mean, like that. Because to me, that is like an admission of guilt. Because they could have said, there's nothing here with this guy. You know, we've done our due diligence. He doesn't have a connection to that. We don't have a connection to him or whatever it is their excuse could be. All we're doing is licensing the name. And if you take that by extension, what about, you know, the the hundreds of thousands of other operators who Caesars partners with for, you know, any given restaurant or, uh, you know, an owner of a franchise that they work with or the gangsters that they hire to, to sing in the clubs, you know? It could, be, it could be anything that would lead them to this sort of question mark. So I think, I think it's a combination of both. Caesars may be a little sloppy. They didn't do their homework. But by pulling the plug so quick, they admitted their guilt. And the Massachusetts guys are just, this is their first time out of the gate. They want to make sure they get everything right. So they could be acting a little too, you know, excitedly. Yeah. Um, so given that you predicted that Gansevoort would not come to be, I would like to get your prediction. What will that hotel open as? Will, we, will it be... Dre's? Will it be Chuck's? Will it be Gary's? Will it be what? 
it's probably going to be Dre's. It doesn't, it, that was the name they were testing. They had done all sorts of surveys. We have copied the surveys that we posted on VT. Uh, they were really, really trying hard to push that name to figure out if it would work. And then I'll bet they got some kind of other deal that would make more sense in terms of Scratch uh, selling the name and the place to these other guys who to deal with it in the Mern renting things out kind of way. So I'm going to guess they're going to go back to Victor, give him the place. Yeah. Seems like uh, that's the path of least resistance. Um well, it seems as far as what they're telling us, the schedule for that joint is still on track. Um, like you said, it was really a licensing thing, so you know they were planning to run the place anyway. So it's not like uh, we're missing out on some amazing experience through this whole thing. I don't know, pretty crazy. But that was not it for Caesars uh, that weekend. Um, Sunday night, I believe it was. Uh, there was a shooting at the temporary Dre's nightclub um, at Bally's where uh, the uh, alleged shooter walks into a club, scopes the joint out, comes back out, gets into an argument, and starts shooting. Um, Unfortunately, uh, a hotel patron, I believe, that tried to subdue him was killed in the altercation, and several security guards and staff members were injured. Um, Really terrible, terrible, terrible thing. We see this... From time to time, and things like this, uh, whether they're gun incidents or we had that thing with the guy crashing his car not that long ago. From time to time, and of course the inevitable question is safety on the strip. Nightclubs in particular, uh, you know, you're packing a lot of people into a small space. And when you get alcohol involved, sometimes people can get a little crazy. Um, it, Dave, I know you talked about this a bit. Um, but, it, you know, is security on the strip something that we need to be looking at again, or is this just kind of the, this, that, this kind of thing happens, unfortunately? I think it's unfortunately the kind of thing that happens, but I think you are going to see more security at clubs. I did a story about this for Vegas 7. It's in the issue that's out now. And ta- basically the approach I took was I just interviewed three different casino and nightclub security experts about what they thought, And kind of the consensus I got was that you will never have people going through metal detectors or magnetometers, which I think is the technical term, um, to get inside of the casino itself because the casino was so big you really couldn't secure it because there's so many entrances. But one, one guy at least said that there's been a spike in nightclub violence around the country, so he thinks that you that they probably will have wanding at nightclub doors becoming the standard of care and if if one court decides this is a reasonable standard pretty much everybody's going to have to adopt it um because that's what they go by and if they don't adopt it and something happens they could be liable to a lawsuit so i would i would it's not inconceivable that you would have to get wanded to go to a casino nightclub sometime in the future right and you know that doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me as someone that doesn't go to casino nightclubs. <laughs> yeah, and they do, you know, they do it at some events. I know even way back when I was working in security, I, I remember we had a Vietnamese show at the Taj, and apparently at a previous show there had been some gang violence, and we had to wand people going in. So, yeah. you know, it, they do have it at some things. It's just not, we haven't seen it in the Vegas nightclubs. But if, you know, if a attorney can say, well, huh, there's been a pattern of violence and a reasonable person would foresee that this could happen. If it's foreseeable, then yes, your your standard of care is that you should be aware of that. So I, I think you might see that happen. 
you have to go through metal detectors to get into uh, the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also all Macau casinos, you right. have to go through a metal detector too. Right. So yeah. not unprecedented. I wouldn't be. I think Dave, you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a tightening of this sort of thing. And you know, if it means that someone doesn't get shot and killed, then I think it's worthwhile. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but at the, at, the end, at the end of the day, a lot of it's driven by the dollars and cents, and a lot of it's driven by what's happening nationally and what juries might say. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I hate to be so clinical about it, but just looking at the bigger picture, that seems like that's what's going to drive it. So, yep. well, yeah, the probably, way, it's, probably it's coming. It's the way the world works. Um, yeah. All right, let's see. Let's drive down the strip. Down to SLS. SLS. Best place ever. Uh, Actually, best photo ever. There was an article in the Review Journal uh, by Howard Stutz um, that was a great photo. He he got a tour with Sam Nazarian of SLS, which is under construction. And there's this amazing photograph of Sam and Howard on site talking for the article. You know, they're both wearing hard hats. Howard's in the traditional reporter's pose with his little notepad. And Sam looks like he's like the mighty builder who is there to conquer and explain. It is just like awesome. It, I, you could not have staged a better photograph. Um, <laughs> but in, ser- in, more, in seriousness, there was an article about SLS, some videos and photos and stuff going through um, the progress there. And, you know, in case anyone had doubted what they were doing, they have really gutted that place. There is, they cleared out the interior completely. Um, I know that, excuse me, I know that when we um, were originally talking about SLS, we were wondering... You know, if you're going to redevelop and reopen this place, why would you sell off literally everything inside the building? But seeing what they've done so far, maybe it makes more sense to me. I mean, it it is uh, they are tearing it down to the uh, to the iron and the walls, and and they're going from there. Um, which of course does not afford as much freedom as starting from scratch, but it really is being torn down to to bits and bobs. Um, so, you know, SLS continues. I thought the article was interesting. It's always fun to see uh, how these things are progressing. They, they seem confident in what they're doing, um, but that's really no change. They, they, they think they've got a winning strategy over there, despite um, some folks that wonder if that will be the case. But we're going to have to wait and see. Um, I'm wondering if either of you guys, though, I'm sure you read, read this article, if you had thoughts on any more thoughts on SLS after getting this update. I'm still surprised how he's uh, Sam is discussing the place in terms of it being a locals joint. I yep. don't get it. Yeah, you know, there, yeah, that's there are parts of that strategy that I, I just don't understand, and I can't tell whether they they are off base um, and uh, it really doesn't make sense, or they have a secret formula that I'm going to see play out and be amazed by. Yeah, I said it before. Second, it really is just physically to get there for for locals is kind of a challenge, but I guess you could do it. Well, as was the pointed out in our comments, right? There, there are people that live in the neighborhood. But yeah, sorry, Chuck, I cut you off. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. The uh, second thing I thought was he made specific mention of uh, commenters who uh, believe that they're going to do a hard rock cosmopolitan sort of right party joint. There and he said, "No, no, no, that's not going to happen." But they're going to have a party tower, <laughs> right. a hotel tower, just for people who are having parties. So, what does that mean? So, well, I mean, look, 
the guy is famous for nightclubs. Um, it's yeah. not, of course, people are going to think that you're going to have, you're going to copy that element. Now, you look at Cosmopolitan and Hard Rock, I mean, especially Cosmopolitan, it hasn't been a huge driver of business for them. I mean, in terms of their overall business, right? Their nightclub business is healthy, but they're not making tons of money at using that strategy. So, of course, he's not going to. He's going to try and play that down. He's not going to say, "Yeah, we're just we're going to do just what the Cosmopolitan is doing, but with less money at the far end of the strip." Uh, that would probably not be a, a good sell for people that are that are investing in the property. Yeah, yeah, probably not. <laughs> I, you know, we'll see. I, I, I think they still. It's still really hard for me to get past the challenges that they have. I mean, one, I, I drove past <laughs> on uh, Monday, um, and it really is. You know, they they are doing a lot of work. But the absolute next thing you see is the world's ugliest 80% completed building that is so big it blots out the sun and it is just like this monolith of monstrosity uh, with the font in blue. And until that thing is gone, they, they, it's like they're in, in some slum that it's just got these half-finished buildings around them and then Circus Circus. I mean it's just gross. I don't, I, it's terrible. What, how, how is that going to work? The good news is they took the scaffolding down, the Fontainebleau. It's gone. <laughs> they need to take the whole building down. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's so terrible. It looks to- so terrible. All it's being used for now is staged boot commercials. I, I don't those know what that videos means. Videos of the guys. There's like three different videos of those same guys climbing up to the top of the oh. <laughs> Fontainebleau to to sell that brand of boots they're wearing. Yeah, I. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's it's. It's really bad. I, it's it's hard for me to imagine. Uh, it's to me, it's such a detractor. People walking down the street, it looks like oh, there's nothing down there. Um, I don't know. That could play to their, to their advantage though, because once they get the people there, they're certainly not going to wander out. It's so. a wall. They won't go. They can't go past the stratosphere because they're going to get mugged. They can't go the one direction. It's like they're trapped. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so the thing is just getting them there. Yeah, there you go. Well, see, party bus. They got five hundred five million names in their database. They're ready to uh, get all those hot dog eaters and sandwich guys to come. That he come does run up there. Yeah, right. So he said that too, right? Which is another thing. I'm not sure. You know, if they, I'm not, I guess I agree with you. What I think you're saying, Chuck, is I I doubt sort of the quality of some of the names on that list. Um, yeah. I'm not sure that they're equivalent to 5 million M-Life members, for instance. No. I would doubt there, that they are. Those, those question, have they been building a list at Hyde? Probably to some degree, right? But it's still – and that, those are probably viable people. But, you know, it's not, it's not the same, right? You can't come in and say these 5 million people are the same as 5 million Total Rewards members or 5 million M-Lifers or 5 mm-hmm. million Red Card people. True. I don't know. We'll see. Um, it'll, it'll, it's coming along. It's going to open. We're going to see it. We're going to go have hot dogs and Fred Siegel sweaters and whatnot. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> they, do they sell Can't sweaters wait. at Fred Siegel? I've actually never been to Fred Siegel. Um, they sell overpri- overpriced underpants. Oh, well, see, there you go. Hmm. That's all I need to know. Um, all right. We are going to talk about – we're going to blitz through one more topic here before we wrap up, which is uh, all of the casino companies reported their results. Um, more or less, and uh, you know, it's, we're not going to necessarily talk about each single one, but it is, it is very interesting to look at 
some of the patterns here. And in some cases, you know, the conference calls that they had were interesting, wins most especially. But I've got in front of me, you know, we got results from at least, and there may be more that I'm missing on my list here, but Caesars, MGM, Boyd, Wynn, and Las Vegas fans. Um, Caesars, MGM, and Boyd, losing money. Win LVS, making money. And in the case of LVS, making a shitload of money. Um, so, you know, what's the story here? We look at Caesars, they're losing money again. Uh, you know, this is, not, this is not a new thing. They've been losing money quarter after quarter, seems like forever. Um, same with MGM. Though MGM is, making, is uh, reducing their loss, right? They're losing less money, which is a good thing. Um, but Win and LVS, they're making tons of money. And, of course, they have significant presence outside the United States. Now, of course, MGM does have a hotel in China as well. But um, is that the secret here? I mean, especially in Las Vegas Sands case, they've got Singapore and Macau, so they can basically just, you know, print money. Uh, but is that, the, is that the story? Is that why some of these companies are so much healthier than others? Yes. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> yeah. In one word, yes. I, how, long, how long can Caesars go on losing money? I mean, it's like, I, they're, they're, apparently they're able to borrow enough money to cover the projects that they want to do and cover losses that they have. But it seems like that can't go on forever. At some point, they're going to have to either divest some assets or turn a profit or else people are going to lose patience with them. Or am I wrong? I guess so, unless you're a bondholder and you figure the only way to get any money for your bonds is to keep on buying bonds and push the maturity date back and just kind of waiting for something good to happen. Yeah. So it's very, I, you know, I, it's difficult for me to see a good resolution to this, but it doesn't mean it's not there. No, I think you're, I mean, Caesars in particular, they just gotten, they've gotten so big and they're not, you know, they've been working to pay down their debt and they've been working to restructure it. It's not like they're just going on some drunken rampage or anything. But it's just so, it's such a big number, and the economy isn't improving enough to you know drive visitation. I mean, we it it hopefully that'll get better, but it's not getting better enough quickly enough that they are able to you know come out of this uh, dive that they're in in terms of their finances. Yeah, and I think if you look at it dispassionately, you you just see that it was not a good strategy to build a big land bank in Las Vegas and to build a big footprint in Las Vegas wasn't really an effective strategy. And you know, barring a major shift in the economy, it's not going to be an effective strategy. So the question comes, you know, how do you get over that and move to the next stage of the company? Right, right. No, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. MGM is uh, doing a little bit better, but, uh, you know, they're still, they're still losing some money. Um, the City center especially, right, troubled opening, is not seeing it's, – it's improving but very slowly, right? It's, it's really interesting to me to see how the Bellagio and to a lesser degree MGM Grand are still really the major drivers for the company. Um, if they didn't have those assets, they'd be screwed. City center, which was, of course, designed to sort of take up the mantle as the top property, um, hasn't, just hasn't gotten there. It, it, it's limping along. It's doing okay. It's doing better. But um, it's not it's, – there's no rocket ship there. No. Um, <laughs> win, win. So uh, real quick before we go, I want to talk about win because, you know, as you played the clip at the beginning of the show, um, his call was very humorous. And he did talk. He did break some news. He talked about Kotai and he talked about phase two of Kotai, 
which uh, I don't think we've heard a lot about until now. And he shared some details. Chuck, do you have that info handy? I certainly do. Um, He shared the name. Uh, One of the analysts called and said, oh, can we call it the Win Annex? And he said, no, Win Diamond is the name of Phase 2 at Kotai. Uh, This, of course, you remember, some of us remember uh, the... uh, the Diamond was the original name for Encore. It was going to be the Wind Diamond at Macau. Uh, but they went with Encore instead. Uh, the plan of this is an all-suite Wind Diamond hotel targeted for premium mass market. There will be some casino, but not a lot. It's primarily going to be entertainment-based. Quoting Steve, he says, the entertainment quotient is to go sky high. Uh, building a Coliseum, right? Yeah. Yeah, 15,000 seat Wind Diamond Coliseum, which will have shows and attractions and restaurants and all sorts of stuff. Uh, It's going to be massive. And then when they're done with that, that's it, man. They're done on Kotai. They've got no more land. It's going to fill the whole thing. So he said, we'll know more soon. Yeah. It so was, who knows what that is, but it's pretty exciting. No, absolutely. It was fun to see uh, them talk about it. And, um, you know, they're pretty excited about their Kotai thing, obviously, when you hear them talk about it. I, I am really curious to see what this is going to end up looking like. So, This, I, is, the fir- this is the first time that Wynn's built a big, you know, arena showroom, right? He, yeah, I mean, as far you know, he's done a lot of showrooms. Something that big. Right, exactly, right. Done, done showrooms for small. seat is this. It's big, yeah. That's like a basketball arena. Yeah. Right. No, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's big. Absolutely. So it's going to also be interesting to see um, what they put in there to fill it, right? I mean, we've seen the entertainment picture in integrated resorts is changing so much, right? We've seen it change a lot in the United States with the rise of nightclubs and the big, huge stage shows. The established ones clearly still doing well, but we don't see it's it's not a requirement that every new hotel has a massive Cirque du Soleil show. You're more likely to see them build a mega nightclub, right? Um, and it's interesting to see in Asia where that's also true, right? We saw early on them try some experiments with Cirque du Soleil and other things that just didn't really catch fire. Um, so it's it's interesting to see if it's going to what they're going to put in there, whether it's like mostly one-off concert type events or or what. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we are done. Done for today. Done for Halloween. You can go and be spooky, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> outro is what my notes say. Outro. So here we go. Um, we are now going to do our Sure Bets segment. So Sure Bets is our opportunity to make a recommendation to you, dear listener, um, something that we think you might be interested in, something that we've come across in our daily lives that is something we'd like to share with you. And uh, so we're going to go around the table. Actually, I have a bunch this time. I'm, I'm going to have to pick and save some for later when I don't have anything good. But um, I've got a few. Uh, Dave, Chuck, hopefully you have something that you want to share or say to the audience. This is your opportunity to do so. Um, Chuck, I'm going to start with you. I, this, so it's always, I'm always Great. rolling the dice when I, when I go to Chuck <laughs> on this one. I don't know if I'm going to get uh, pizza or... You know, something just incredibly insightful. And I love pizza, by the way. I'm not putting down pizza. I'm hurt a little bit. Aww. But I'm not. Are you saying I'm unreliable? I speak it's the <laughs> truth. You know what I'm talking about. 
Okay, I know what you're talking about. I have two picks, believe it or not, I do. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, a month and a half ago, maybe two months, maybe two and a half months, could be three, uh, my lovely wife came to me and she said, I have all of these frequent flyer miles I need to burn. Would you like to order a magazine? So she handed me the list of all the magazines, and I'm like, hmm, shape, self, Woman's Day, <laughs> Red Book. And I couldn't find anything until I finally saw at the bottom of the page the Wall Street Journal Daily Delivery. So I ordered the Wall Street Journey Daily Delivery, and I swear it was possibly the greatest thing that I've ever done in the last, whatever, 30 years of buying stuff. The newspaper, getting the actual physical newspaper and the quality of the work that's in the journal is just exemplary. It's incredible. It's wonderful. Every day you flip through it, it's like, ooh, Twitter IPO or just real deep down stuff. There's a thing about Cantor Sportsbook. You know, we yep. check it out online, of course, but thinking about the Cantor Sportsbook, casinos have no quarter. Every day there's something about the gaming business or technology or automobiles or all the things that I'm kind of interested in, and it's really smart and well put together. Not only are the articles great, but holy cow, even the ads are great. You know, they're really elegant, well-designed, classy, and gorgeous. So that's number one, Wall Street Journal. Number two, I'll be quick on this. If you have not gone to see the movie All is Lost, starring Robert Redford as a shipwrecked at sea guy stuck on a boat trying to save his life for eight days, you need to do it. This, this is a, a film, there's no dialogue in it. It's basically him out on the open ocean on this boat that gets rammed into by a shipping container full of sneakers. And that sets up a domino effect of just all sorts of horrible things happening to him while he's out there. He doesn't speak at all during the whole thing. There's maybe a couple of words at the beginning and a few at the end. But it's, it's a powerful performance. It's physical. It's intense. It's emotional. It's a really great uh, display of acting finesse and directing from some of the greatest people who do this stuff. All is lost. I don't know if it's playing countrywide. I know it's in the, in the local theater here, but, but uh, if, you, if you like movies, this is, this is a bona fide winner. He's going to probably win the Oscar. It's very worth it. All is lost. Very cool. Um, Wall Street Journal, definitely recommend. I, I read the journal as well. I subscribe to the journal and the New York Times, and I like reading them both. Um, journal has some really great stuff. Uh, Alexander Burzon, who works at the Journal, is a really great gaming reporter. She's had a bunch of really great stories, um, so definitely double down on that on that recommendation. Um, Dave, you got something for us? Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What kind of pizza? Um, what kind of yeah, pizza that's... do you like? Well, Montesanos is, is my local favorite. So that's good. I don't know if I've, I might have done them as a, a sure bet before, so I didn't want to say that. But if I haven't, Montesano's. Uh, what about Cetabello? People talk about Cetabello. Is it Cetabello good? Cetabello was really good, too. Yeah. It I really good. like Cetabello, too. Actually, I did just try the pizza from a place called Novecento, which is also an Eastern. And their gimmick is that they put the pizza into a 900 degree oven and it takes 90 seconds to cook. That's pretty good, too. So, right on. Um, any one of three. Pizza places in Henderson adjacent Las Vegas. Well, I love pizza. Uh, Montesanos, Novacento, and Cetabello. Meatball Spot had really good pizza, but the one at Town Square closed. And I think it's reopening in Planet Hollywood or something. Mm. Is that so? When yeah. that opens up in the strip, 
the pizza from Meatball Spot was really good. Is you that, know, it's that Carla Pellegrino doing that? Or is that not her? Yeah. That is her yeah. restaurant. That's what I thought. No, yeah. It's like the rectangular pizza the way my grandmother used to make. So it's really good stuff. Right on. Cool. We'll see. Pizza. Love pizza. Um, pizza. I have a bunch. I'm, I'm gonna, I think I have four, but I'm going to save two for next time. Um, so I'm going to start with these two. Uh, one is... A, a Twitter account I think you should follow. And this is not a normal Twitter account. So Twitter is starting this – they're starting a couple of these experiments actually where they have special accounts you can follow that look at your uh, Twitter activity and Twitter stream and do things based off of that. And one is called Magic Rex. So that's M-A-G-I-C-R-E-C-S. And so if you follow Magic Rex, what will happen is that um, as people on your timeline – do things. So, for instance, today, within a span of about five minutes, there was a tweet from Mrs. Misnomer that was retweeted by Misnomer and Vegas Tripping, and I think it's one other person. I got a notification that, I, that that tweet had been massively retweeted by my followers very quickly. And so you'll get notifications like that. You'll also get notifications if a bunch of your followers follow a person. So a new, somebody new joins Twitter that everyone's starting to follow. You'll be notified with a direct message that they've joined because your followers are are following them. So it, it sort of looks at all of the people you follow and what they're doing and how they're using the service. And if something anomalous pops out, it notifies you about it. So then you could potentially follow the person or read the tweet or whatever. It's a really interesting service. I think we're going to see Twitter do more of this kind of stuff, um, trying to surface interesting things that otherwise you would not be able to find. So I think Magic Rex is cool. It's not a high-volume thing. Um, it's it only it only gives you notifications if something really interesting does happen, so it's not like you're going to get spammed with crap. But I I found it really interesting to uh, to see the kinds of recommendations. Like for instance, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, joined Twitter, and within about two minutes of him signing up, uh, I had gotten a notification from Magic Rex that like 85 of my followers had followed this new account, and so it was. Uh, I would have found out about that eventually through other channels, but it was an interesting example of how this thing works. So Magic Rex on Twitter. Um, of course, as with all Twitter stuff, it, there's no cost involved or anything. You just follow it. Uh, the other thing is a documentary I saw recently that I really, really enjoyed. Um, it's called Red Obsession. It's a documentary on the French Bordeaux wine industry, um, which, you know, I drink wine and I enjoy it, um, and I probably would have found it interesting no matter what. But what I did not know was that the French wine industry has been massively upset by China, as all things in the world. Both Chinese buyers who displace the United States as the biggest buyers of uh, Bordeaux, um, but also Chinese uh, counterfeiters, Chinese producers. Um, the, the industry has been, this hundreds of years old industry has been massively disrupted by, by new entrants from China. It's a really interesting documentary. It's on iTunes, um, narrated by Russell Crowe, very well made. Uh, a lot of history I did not know about how these things come together, but um, definitely recommend it. It's well written. It's very entertaining. I love documentaries, and so this is right up my alley. But uh, definitely recommend Red Obsession. Um, I'm not sure if it's on Netflix or not, uh, but if you can, wherever you can find it, uh, I would definitely recommend tracking it down. It's a it's a really good hour and change, hour and a half, I think. So Red Obsession, and I'll link to that stuff uh, in case anybody wants to try and find it. All right, that is it for today. Do not forget to rate the show on iTunes. Um, that helps yes. people find the show. We like ratings. Ratings are good. We want more people to listen. <laughs> so 
please do that. Uh, also, VegasGangPodcast.com is a great place to leave comments. We've had some good comments from people on some of these last couple episodes. We would love to get more comments always. We love interacting with you guys. If you have questions or comments, uh, even complaints about the show, that's all fine. That's a great place to put it. Um, and if you've got a question that you'd like to have us address on the show, can't guarantee that we'll talk about it, but please feel free to submit them there. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Also, uh, on Twitter, uh, at Vegas Gang, you can hit us there. I also uh, retweet stuff um, from other folks, the stuff that's related to one of the three of us or some interesting Vegas business-type articles on that account. So uh, you can follow at Vegas Gang if you want to get in on that action. Um, thank you guys for being here. Uh, let me go around the table one more time. You guys can tell people where they can find you. Dr. Dave Schwartz, where can people find you? Grandissimobook.com. Mucho excelente. Chuck Monster, where can people find you? Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> Love pizza. I'm hungry now. I'm hungry now. All right, people can find me at uh, VegasMate.com. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend.